0: Heavenly Father, we come before Thy throne, O, oh, Thy throne of holiness and righteousness. and Thou art a, a King, Sovereign, Almighty, a great God. And we just praise Thee and, and thank Thee for, for how You have revealed Yourself to Your people. And uh, we come before Thee, we pray that You'd be glorified today and magnified through the preaching of Thy Word. Oh, that Thy saints would be built up and, and um, encouraged. In the way, O oh Lord, we also pray that if there's any of your lost sheep that will hear this message, Lord, that you would touch their hearts and that the Holy Spirit would, would illuminate the scriptures for them and regenerate them and that they might worship thee and praise thee. We love you and praise you and thank you for your goodness, mercy and grace to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Today we're going to start a new series on the attributes of God. And today's message is called The Solitariness of God. The Solitariness of God. We'll start a new Sunday School series, again, where we'll be looking at the attributes of God. And when we speak of God's attributes, we're talking about those characteristics that help us to understand who He truly is. Not who we think He is, but who the the Scriptures declare Him to be. Who the scriptures declare him to be. How he is revealed in scripture. And this will in no way be a comprehensive study because you could spend a lifetime on these these subjects and never exhaust who our great God is. But we'll look at several of God's attributes in the next few weeks. Have you ever pondered or meditated upon the subject of the solitariness of God? The solitariness of God. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. The Bible in its first words says this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. So in the beginning, God. I want us to think about God being God by himself before he created anything. 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 Exodus chapter 3. Our great God proclaims to Moses who he is. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now think of the vastness of this wonderful name. I am. It brings forth the self existence of our great God. And we know that Lord, when we see Lord in the Old Testament, it is the self existent one, Jehovah. Jehovah. He is the being of beings, and it denotes his immutability and the fact that he is eternal. I am that I am. Also think of the power in this name. What he has said shall come to pass. What he has said shall come to pass because of who he is, the great I am. The great I am. And so we can have faith that he will fulfill all his promises because he is the great I am. This name is the same name that our Lord called Himself. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 8. The same name that our Lord called Himself. He's the Word of God, the Eternal One, who became flesh, beloved, and dwelt among us. All to redeem us from our sins. All to redeem us from our sins. Look at John chapter 8, verses 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. What a proclamation. That verse always gives me chills, beloved. Our Lord just revealed who he is. And you know, they picked up stones. They wanted to kill him. But look what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Again, what what name shall Moses tell them? I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. There he is. There he is in John in the flesh. God incarnate in the flesh, beloved. That's what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming right there before them that he is the great I am. Have you ever pondered that before God created anything? the angels, the universe, time, space, that God dwelt alone. And He was perfectly content being alone. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfectly content. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Before there was any heaven, before the angels... Before anything, God, the self-existent one, existed in great wisdom, in great power. And yet, even then, he was full of mercy, beloved. Even then, he was full of mercy, full of grace. Because what? Scripture declares he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging, isn't he? He's unchanging, beloved. He's not the God of the Old Testament, and then all the God uh, who's, who's... who, 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 I remember when I was in religion, I've told you guys this. They said the Old Testament was for the Jews, the New Testament is, is for believers. No, no. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same God, full of mercy, full of grace towards his people. Turn, if you would, again to Exodus chapter 15. We'll look at verses 6 to 12. And as we do, I want us to think upon the greatness of our God. Oh, how great our God is. And think upon His solitariness. Think upon how He is the Almighty One, the self-existent One. And this will make us sing as Moses and the children of Israel did when the Red Sea closed over the Egyptians. Look at this in Exodus 15, verses 6 to 12. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. It always has been. Hey. But now it's manifest. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Remember, they were pursuing the Israel, and they were swallowed up by the Red Sea. Oh, what great powers on display. And in the greatness of Thine excellency, Thou hast overthrown them that rose up against Thee. Thou sendest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. People shake their fists at God right now. God's wrath will consume them as stubble, beloved. It'll consume them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together and the floods upright as in an heap, and the depths were congolated in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, "I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. That's man. I'll do this. I'll do that. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I'll draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with with thy wind, and the sea covered them. man said, I'm going to do all this. And God just swallowed them up. Had the sea just swallow them up. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow thy wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty water. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Oh, there's no one like unto him. Who is like unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders, and all the wonders that he's done. Just think of the wonders of salvation that we have in Christ. Oh, what a wonder that is. What a wonder that is. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible, beloved. Before there was ever time or space, before there was even the universe upheld by the word of His power, there was nothing but God from everlasting, beloved. Before anything was created. A.W. Pink brings this forth in a wonderful quote. He says this in the beginning. There was nothing, no one but God. And that not for a day or a year or an age, but from everlasting. During the past eternity, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. In need of nothing. Had a universe, had angels, had human beings been necessary to him in any way, they also had been called into existence from all eternity. The created in them, when he did, added nothing to God. So when God spoke this world into existence, when He created the angels, when He created us, it added nothing to Him. It added nothing to Him. The creator of them, when He did, added nothing to God, essentially. He changes not. Therefore, His essential glory can be neither argumented nor diminished. Our great God, beloved, That was the end quote. Our great God was under no obligation to create anything. You know why he did it? He did it according to his own will and purpose. That's why he did it. According to his own will and purpose. It was an act. It was an act. Creation of the angels, of us, of of the world, was an act of his absolute sovereignty. It was an act of his absolute sovereignty. And he does all things, beloved, after the counsel of his own will. Because it pleased him to do so. Because it pleased him to do so. By creating this world, the universe, stars, angels, all things visible and invisible, our great God, what did he do? He manifested his glory. He manifested his glory. And we who are believers sit in awe of his glory, don't we? When we, when, we, when we think upon these things, when we meditate upon them, and meditating is just thinking, and when we think upon the greatness of our God through the week, what do we do? We glorify him, don't we? We magnify his name. We say, oh, Lord, you had mercy on me? This is wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So he was under no obligation to create anything. He just did it according to his own will and purpose. To manifest His glory, beloved. To manifest His greatness. To manifest His almighty power. That's our God. That's our God, beloved. Is it any wonder that the Scriptures proclaim, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise? Is it any wonder the Scripture tells us to do that? Oh, bless His name. Praise His name. Our God is a great God. He's the God, the one true God. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians about our salvation in Christ, brings forth this wonderful truth that God does all things according to to the good pleasure of His will. Now, I, I know we've read this portion many times, but I want to read it in light of this, in light of how God does whatever He's pleased to do. The whole reason he created the world and us is because it pleased him to do so. The whole reason we're saved is because it pleased God to do so. It pleased him to save us. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 1. He's writing, Paul's writing to the Ephesians about our salvation in Christ, and he brings forth this wonderful truth, again, that God does all things according to the good pleasure of his will. We'll read verses 3 to 12 with our topic in mind, what we're, what we're considering. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with what? All spiritual blessings, where? In heavenly places, in Christ. In Christ, that's the key right there. In Christ. According to this, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Here we go according to the good pleasure of what? His will. His will. Same will that spoke the, the universes into existence, created the angels, created us, because it, was, because it pleased him to do so. Same will. Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us what? Accepted in the beloved were Accepted. By God in Christ, in Christ alone. Again, in whom we have redemption. How? Through his blood. He gave his life for us, beloved. And what, what's the result of that? Oh, this is wonderful. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. We looked at that mystery a few weeks back. Look at this. According to his good pleasure, which he hath what? Purposed in himself. If you're saved, God saved you on purpose. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Despite our sinfulness, despite who we are, God saved us. It's wonderful. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one, that's, that's in Christ, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose, here we go, the purpose of him who worketh what? All things after the counsel of his own will. My, oh my. That we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. This is wonderful. Ponder this, that God, God gains nothing from, all, from us, he, he gains nothing from us, but yet he's moved to create all because of the pleasure of his will. He's moved to save his people because of the pleasure of his will. He made a covenant with the, with, with the Son and the Holy Spirit in eternity, and it shall come to pass. It'll come to pass because it pleased him to do so. Because it pleased him to do so. <laughs> and Take note of verse 5. It says at, at the end, according to the good pleasure of his will, verse 9, heaven made known unto us the mystery of his will. And in verse 11, here's the key to it all according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. A lot of people talk about their free will. There's the will (laughs) that rules over everything. See, our wills are bound to our nature. We've, we've, We've talked about that and looked at that. God does whatever he pleases to do. Whatever he pleases to do. Now, this is foreign in most religious circles, of our day. They never speak of this. They, they never speak of God being, at, they, they speak of God being at man's beck and call. But the scriptures proclaim that our great God, who is the self-existent one, who once existed in, in solitariness and, and, and was content, he's the almighty one. But according to, Religion, God's at man's beck and call, but according to the Scriptures, we're at His mercy. Somebody's got it wrong, and I, I, I'm, the Scriptures back us up, don't they? We're at the mercy of God. We're dependent upon the mercy of God. We're dependent upon the grace of God. What does the Scripture say? Remember, we, I always say, well, anyone talking to you about, about what we believe or about anything about Christ, you begin the conversation with Scripture, you sustain the conversation with Scripture and you end the conversation with Scripture. All right? Always give them Scripture. Always. Always. And, and people give you their opinion. What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? Well, it says here in verse nine, 11 that he does all things according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible, beloved. <laughs> Whether people like it or not, that's the God of the Bible. He's the Almighty One. He's the self-existent One. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? None. None. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We'll look at verses 11, or verses 33 36. In light of the topic that we're considering today, the solitariness of God, how He does whatever He pleases, look at this Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths, verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding. You can search and search and never find. His way but if he reveals to you who he is you're you learn a little bit <laughs> we just learn a little bit don't we we just know a little bit we see through a glass darkly don't we right his judgments and his ways pass finding out for who hath known the mind of the lord who hath known the mind of the lord he does whatever he pleases he doesn't he doesn't seek out counselors like like leaders do in the world he doesn't seek no one out <laughs> Who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Who who said to him, "Well, Lord, you should do it this way." Now, some people talk like that, don't they? God don't need no counselors. He's the Almighty One. Or who hath been His counselor? Who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. We give God all the glory, don't we? All the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Note in verse 34 there, a question is asked. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Now think of this in light of the solitariness of God. He doesn't need no help. None at all. He does, again, what he pleases. And think of the fact of what we saw in Scripture there he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So that's why the question comes up, who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? And and when when we put Scripture with Scripture, like we looked at in Ephesians, he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. No one. No one is being his counselor. No one. God is not obligated to anyone. He's not obligated to anyone. And let us remember that God gains nothing from us. He gains nothing from us. He is righteous and we are unrighteous. And in order for us to be righteous, we must be clothed in the perfect, spotless righteousness of Christ. We gain, beloved. We gain. We'll look at tonight how how by Christ's poverty, we become rich. We're the gainers, beloved. We're the gainers. We need Him. He doesn't need us. We need Him. We need Him. Now think upon this. If we add nothing to God and we don't, then how merciful was He in planning to save us from eternity? It was just an act of sovereign mercy that He chose to save us. And the believer can say, I received that mercy, that grace was given to me. All because it pleased Him to do so. Bring it right home, beloved. Bring it right home. Oh, this is mercy unmeasurable. Boundless grace. We need Him. And how merciful was He in planning to save us from eternity. Because the scriptures proclaim we're all unprofitable servants in our natural state. We who are the redeemed of the Lord are unworthy of God's grace and mercy. We know that, don't we? We've been showing that. And yet he bestows us all according to the good pleasure of his will. Because he's loved us with an everlasting love. My, it doesn't get any better than that. It's wonderful. Always remember that God and his essential being never changes. He never changes. We glorify God in our praise, but we never add to what is called his intrinsic glory. We don't add anything to him. This is the sum total of his greatness. His divine being. It is all that God is and the whole of his attributes. And always remember, again, that we cannot add to his intrinsic glory. Because he's already all-glorious. He's already all-glorious, beloved. He's forever glorious. Perfect. Eternally the same. Unchanging. Aren't you glad he's unchanging? Because that means our salvation is secure in him, in Christ. It's wonderful. He's unchanging in his glory. Therefore, the glory of God is intrinsic to himself. It never, it's, it's never diminished. It never increases. It's unaffected by outward forces or circumstances. That's why Paul wrote, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? My. A. W. Pink brings this forth in another quote. He said, God is honored and dishonored by men, not in his essential being, but in his official character. So when God created all that we see and don't see, it was, again, as I said earlier, to manifest his glory. It was to manifest his glory. God has been glorified by creation, by providence, by redemption. This, again, is indisputable. But again... This all has to do with His manifest of glory. It adds nothing to His essential being, nothing to His in- intrinsic glory. It simply manifests when He created, when he, when he redeemed us, it manifests His glory. It manifests His glory, beloved. The great and glorious God, who He is, it manifests His almighty power, doing that which is impossible with man, but yet it's possible with God. Why? Because He has all power, all ability. He can do whatever He pleases. We can't. (laughs) But He can, beloved. He's the eternal one. The almighty one. The self-existent one. This is our God. This is our Savior, beloved. Remember what He called Himself? Remember what our Lord called Himself? I am. (laughs) That's our God. And the Lord was perfectly blessed in Himself before He ever spoke anything into existence. Ponder this. All creatures are in his hand. All creatures. Scriptures declare this, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. You ever see a drop, uh, drop a little bit of water in a bucket? That's the metaphor. It's wonderful. Just like a drop of a bucket. And are counted as a small dust of the balance. The dust that's on the balance when they're weighing, that they don't either blow it off or they just leave it there because it won't add any weight. That's what all the nations of the world are to our great God. Just like the dust on the balance that you just ignore. My. In Lebanon, the whole country is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All those beasts are not sufficient for a burnt offering to our great God. All nations are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? No one compares to our great God. beloved. No one. And this is the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. It's not a God somebody cooked up in their imagination. That's the God of the Bible. That's who he really is. And it pleased him to reveal himself to his people, to you who are the blood-washed saints of God. It pleased him to reveal Christ to you. By the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we're regenerated, born again. We're given grace and faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But remember, even while we're here, we just see through a glass darkly. But one day, oh, we'll see him face to face. And the people of this earth are like grasshoppers. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 40. The people of this earth are like grasshoppers, beloved. They're just like grasshoppers. Beloved. You ever, you know, I, was, I was thinking about this as, as I was preparing, and, and I remembered when I was a kid, you used to try to catch grasshoppers all the time, right? Just, but they're so small. We're, we're huge compared to them, aren't we? But, but the people of this earth, all the people of this earth, are just like, like a little grasshopper to him. It's amazing. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 20 to 23. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. So again, we're getting a word picture of how great our God is and how small we really are. That stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them as a, out as a tent to dwell in. He stretches out the, the heavens as a curtain. My, that's our God, beloved. That's our God. Spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. vanity. Now think of the God of the Bible as we have looked at Him and contrast Him with the God who's preached in most pulpits today. And you will fast realize that they are not the same. Not the same. That's why we preach Christ. We preach preach our great God and His absolute sovereignty just like Spurgeon did and other, other faithful men. We just proclaim Christ in Him. We proclaim the greatness of God in the nothingness of man. Because we are in desperate need of Christ. We're in desperate need of Christ. Turn, if you would, to First Timothy chapter 1. We've looked at a few Old Testament scriptures. Let's look at a couple of New Testament scriptures here. First Timothy chapter 1. Paul here proclaims who our great God is. Look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Writing to Timothy. And Paul here breaks forth in the doxology of praise to our great sovereign God for His mercy and His abundant grace, proclaiming that He is the eternal King of nature, providence and grace. Verse 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Give Him all the glory of the Lord. Give Him all the glory. This is a doxology of praise right there in that verse. And note, He's the King Eternal. The great I Am. The great I Am. The King Eternal. His throne is forever. His kingdom and government is forever. He's immortal. For Christ is the living God, the living Redeemer. And Though He died as a man, He'll die no more. He lives forever. He's invisible in his divine nature, and until manifest in the flesh, he's the Word of God. So in eternity, he was the Word of God. And he's still the Word of God. He's still the Word of God. Second person of the Trinity, he dwells in light that is inaccessible. He's the only wise God in opposition to all the false deities which were being proclaimed at this time. He, he is wisdom itself. He is the fountain of wisdom. And it is to him that we give all the glory forever. And we will give him all the glory forever in glory. Now turn over to chapter 6 of the same book. And this is the God who we've been looking at today, this morning. And look what Paul writes to Timothy here in chapter 6 of verses 15 and 16. Which in times past he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. The king of kings. And the lord of lords he's the only the only potentate there's a man in rome who claims to be a potentate but there's only one potentate that's a false potentate over there in rome right here blessed and only potentate king of kings and lord of lords who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Seal it up with an amen. (laughs) Oh my. Amen. This is the God of the Bible, beloved. This is the God of the Bible. It is He who saves us. It is He who redeems us. It is He who is far above all. Independent of us all. A.W. Pink said this, He gives to all, but is enriched by none. Because everyone's fed out of his hand. The sun shines because he commands it to do so. The rain falls because he commands it to do so. He, he gives to all, but is enriched by none. That's, a, that's an amazing quote. So true. So ponder this truth this week. Meditate upon this Precious truth, beloved of God, that he gives to all and is rich by none. And and yet he chose to love a people, a people of his choosing, a people of his choosing from eternity. And he chose that that, that people, which we who are the blood-bought saints of God, we're, we're, we're in that number. He chose to love those people based upon nothing in them, nothing in them. But he chose us in Christ Jesus, his son. And we are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit regenerates us. And we are his people. We've been loved by God from all eternity. Why? According to the good pleasure of his will. Makes you want to shout. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. He's the only one to be worshipped. He's the only one to be revered. He's the only one who's worthy of all our praise. He's the only one worthy of all our adoration. He's the perfect one, the holy one, the righteous one. And he must reveal himself to us or we'll never know him. Or we'll never know him. And it is God, the Holy Spirit, who reveals Christ to us, who reveals to us who God is. Through the preaching of the gospel. And we say glory to his name. Praise his mighty name. Praise his mighty name. So let us leave here today considering. The fact that our great God is lacking in nothing. In his person. He is complete. And he did not make us because he needed us. He made us and he created us. And he's redeemed his people. Because it pleased him to do so. It's humbling. But it's also. It'll make your lips just cry out in praise to our great God. We are made for his pleasure, according to his purpose, for his glory, which he determined after the counsel of his own will. Not ours. And we say to God, be the glory. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for your wonderful scriptures and how they teach us of thee, O Lord, and your majesty and your glory and how majestic you are, the almighty, self-existent one. We glorify thy name and praise thee. Pray that you'd be glorified today through the preaching of thy word and be with us in the next service and tonight too, Lord. May we glorify and magnify thy name. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.